0: And good morning, everyone. And as we say each and every week, God is good. All the time. And all the time. God yeah, Amen. That's a truth we can start with each and every time, and each and every morning that we wake up, we can start with that truth. For you guys who don't know who I am, Joe just said I'm the associate pastor here. My main responsibilities is youth ministry, and I absolutely love youth ministry, and my name is Eric. You can just call me that. Um, it doesn't have to be Pastor Eric. You can just call me Eric. And it has been a privilege and honor to be serving here for... I should have thought about this before, it's something over three years now. Um, But for you guys who don't know, I've actually attended this church for my whole life, and God's given me the opportunity to come back here and serve on staff here, and it's been a blessing. And part of that blessing is being on the teaching team. And for you guys who might have been just coming a couple weeks now, you might have noticed that there's a few different people, faces up here. You may be like, which one's a pastor, which one's an elder? But we operate under a teaching team instead of a teaching pastor. So the teaching team is three or four different elders and pastors who we all believe have the gift to preach, and I am honored to be on that team, along with Dave Howard, uh, Joe sometimes, and then our lead pastor, Lee. So with that, we're in our series of Galatians, and I'm going to pray before we get started. God, thank you so much for the God you are. You are a good God. You are a God who loves us no matter what, Lord. You love us no matter what our iniquities are, no matter how many sins we have done, Lord. You are a God who extends grace each and every single day to us, Lord. We thank you for the God you are, and today I ask that you, you make my words disappear, and that instead you fill this room, Lord, and that you intercede whatever words I'm saying into what, whatever words people need to hear today, Lord. I ask that you take away me, and you give more of you, and today that it's you preaching today, not me. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So today, we're going to be talking about Galatians and one of my favorite topics, and I'm sure each and every one of you guys' is favorite topics, sin. We love to hear about how sinful we are and we love to hear about, man, you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong, and you, oof, you have done all of those wrong, plus 20 other things. We love to hear this. Some of us do, but for the majority, including myself, I really don't. I would much rather prefer from a church, we just got up there and we said, Yeah, we're sinful, but God loves us and God really cares about us and he sent his son to die for us, but don't worry about that sin. It's completely forgiven about. Don't even worry about it. And there's a lot of people, and that's honestly where I tend to fall. I would much rather, even when I'm preaching to Eucharist students, I'll say, hey, yeah, you guys have all sinned, but really don't worry about that. God loves you. It's all forgiven. It's all good. Capiche. And we just kind of end it there. But that does a disservice to God's grace. That does a disservice to God, because ultimately, if you don't understand how sinful you are, and that you sin, you don't understand your need for God, and you don't understand how much that gift truly means of sending His Son to die on that cross for each and every one of our sins. So by ignoring sin, we're doing a disservice. But then there's also a different group that focuses way too much on sin. That everything you do you get up from the pulpit and you're telling people how bad they are you're telling them what they need to do better and what they need to do differently in order to get closer to God and that's works based faith and we don't believe in that and I don't want you guys coming away from today thinking on how horrible of a person you are because God's grace does cover that you are completely forgiven and ultimately the people who are focusing on sin they don't understand God's grace they don't understand that it has been forgiven That everything is gone, everything is finished on that cross, yet we still live in a sinful world, and God's grace continues to cover us. So there's two kind of camps with that, and honestly, neither of those is what I really want to talk about today. I don't want you walking away from today being like, wow, I'm the worst sinner of the world, or being like, eh, sin really doesn't matter, I'm never going to think about it again. What I want is the same exact reason Paul wrote this scripture, which was to do a heart check or you could put it as a fruit check. What's your fruit? Because ultimately in our lives, depending on who we're following and what we're doing, our fruit is going to follow that. So if we're following the spirit of the flesh, the fruit we produce is going to be fleshly, sinful desires. If we follow the fruit of the spirit, the fruit we produce is going to be of the spirit. It's gonna be love, peace, and it's gonna be all those fruits of the spirits that we're gonna learn about next week I don't know how Lee convinced me to do this week about sin, and he's doing the spirits next week. (laughs) Very convincing. Um, But I want today to be a heart check and to check your fruit, not for you to come out and say, I don't have to worry about sin, or for you to say, oh man, I am a horrible person. How could anyone love me? That's not the goal. There's a few other things before we start digging into scripture that I want to cover as well, and that is a lot of you guys hear the word sin, and you immediately think of someone else. And I'm guilty of that as well, I'll think of someone else. And the first thing, even before I cover that, is if you're thinking of someone who's not a Christian, get that out of your mind. Because they don't have the Spirit of God. The only fruit a non-Christian can produce is the fruit of the flesh. So when you look at them and say, Wow, you are so sinful. No duh! It's the way it's going to be, they're not a Christian, they do not have the Spirit of God in them, they cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit, so everything they produce is going to be the fruit of the flesh. But if you're thinking about the person sitting next to you, your wife, your husband, your son, um, your kids, or anyone like that, I want to challenge you to stop thinking like that. Because today is not about you judging someone else. Let's leave the judging of the fruit to God, and let's only think about our own hearts. And the next one is someone who's going to be sitting there and saying, oh, we're going to be talking about sin today. I already think about that every single day I wake up. I think about how horrible of a person I am, how bad I am to God, how I failed God multiple times yesterday, and how I don't understand how anyone could love me. I want to challenge those people to stop thinking that way and truly accept God's grace. Today will be a challenging message for those, if that's what you're thinking, because we are going to talk about sins, we're not going to avoid it, but during that, if you find yourself getting really beating up on yourself and saying, man, I just don't deserve anything. I don't deserve God's love, I don't deserve any of that. I want to challenge yourself to start accepting God's grace because God has forgiven that. And then the third person is standing there and saying, eh, this really doesn't apply to me. If we're talking about sin, I can guarantee it applies to everyone here because we live in a sinful world. We still have a sinful nature. There's a lot of sin still going around in our daily lives. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, oh, we're going to talk about sin, I can kind of check out. I've got that under control. Just pray right now silently in your seat that God will reveal to you what the fruits you are producing. And if you still don't by the end of the message see that there's some fruits of the flesh, continue to pray that prayer throughout the next week. And I can guarantee over time that God will reveal it to you. So now that I kind of gave you guys the purpose of this message, that is not to beat you up, that is not for your neighbor, that it's not to make you feel worse about yourself or that it does, it does apply to you, I just wanna pray so that we can set the tone. So let's pray again. God, we know we, there's a battle with inside of us. The desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh are at odds. And sometimes our sinful nature wins, Lord. And when we follow that sinful nature, we see that there are fruits of the flesh produced in our lives, Lord. I ask that you reveal that to us today, Lord, but in a healthy way where we're not beating up on ourselves, but where we're saying, hey, I wanna represent and glorify God even more than I do now. I don't want there to be a bad fruit on my tree, Lord. I want it to all be fruits of the Spirit. I ask that you reveal to us today, Lord, and you speak to us, and that you allow us to check our hearts and to check our fruits. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, so now we're gonna get into scripture. So the first verse starts off by saying, now. And you guys really thought I was joking when I said we take in-depth studies of this. We're gonna stop right there. And we're gonna go word by word by word and we'll be here for six hours. But no, for the first one, when Scripture starts by saying now, it's a safe bet it's referring to something that was said previously. So that was last week's message for you guys who were there, but I'm not going to assume everyone was there or remembers what it was talked about, so I want to quickly cover that since this continues that thought, and then we can move on to the truth section of Scripture today. So that thought was from the Scripture before, which was Galatians 5, 16 through 18. And it reads, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law." So this is a very confusing section, and last week Pastor Lee did a great job of breaking it down and helping us understand it, and we're not going to repeat his message completely, but if you guys are curious about what that means, We're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, we're on YouTube. Just type in montclair.church, and you can find last week's message to get a deeper dive into that. But what's important for us to realize today is that this is talking about kind of a battle within us. It's talking about wants and desires. And our want is to glorify God, but there's desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit. And they're kind of at odds. You could picture it as like a devil and an angel on either of your shoulders, but it's almost at odds with each other And sometimes the desires of the flesh win, sometimes desires of the spirit win, but we always want to move towards the desires of the spirit, because that's what is going to glorify God, that's God's spirit leading us. We want to continue to move towards that, and quite simply, the flesh is just our sinful nature, it's our fallenness, it's all of that. The spirit is the Holy Spirit, and it's becoming more like Christ. And they are, again, at war at each other, and we're gonna dig a little bit deeper into what that really means, but now that you guys have the basis of that, we can go into the next section. Which now, verse 19 reads, Now the works of the flesh are evident. And we're going to stop there for now. But it says works of flesh. So if you guys remember just from right before, it said the desires of the flesh. And now it's talking about the works of flesh. So flesh is still the same. That's our sinful nature. That's our fallenness. But it's now talking about desires first works. And those are two different things. And the simplest way I can do it is our wants... Is our motivation. That's normally that we want to glorify God, we want to continue to walk more like Christ, we want to observe love and peace and kindness and faithfulness, we want to do all that, but then when it comes to the real world, there's desires. We're really mad at someone, we don't want to show them love, we don't want to show them compassion, we don't want to do that, but we still know it's the right thing. And in that moment, our desires are at each other. Our desires of the flesh are yelling at that person, or desires of the spirit of saying, hey, I understand how you can do that, I just wanna show you love. They'll add each other, and that's where works now show up. Works are the outcome of that battle within us. Works are the outcome of our desires. So the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit, depending on which one wins that battle, is what our works are. And we see in this that works are also evident. That means they're not hidden. We're gonna get into this a little bit deeper, But just to bring the the point home about our wants, desires, and now works, an example is, let's say, I want to get fit. I want to go to the gym. I want to really get a six-pack and be massive. I want to deadlift 700 pounds or whatever it is. I want to be massive. But my desire when I'm driving by McDonald's is to go to McDonald's. Let's use Chick-fil-A, actually. I don't like McDonald's. Let's use something more tempting. Chick-fil-A, when I drive by Chick-fil-A, is to stop at Chick-fil-A, get a spicy crispy sandwich, and a milkshake. But my other desire is saying, no, you can either go home and go to your gym. You can work out. And depending on what I'm doing and when I'm driving by and what my desire wins at that point, I may be stopping at Chick-fil-A or I may be going home, working out, or just sitting at home eating carrots and hummus. There's a difference there. Or you may want to read more, yet when you get home from your long 9 to 5 at 6 p.m., you just want to sit out and one of your desires is to sit out and vegetate watching The Real Housewives. Not a very good show, but it's okay. Um, Stranger Things or something like that's much better, but your desire is to sit there and vegetate watching TV, or your other desire is to read a book. And again, depending on the day, depending on what you choose, the desire of reading the book may win, or the desire of watching The Bachelor may win. And to bring this even just more to a point, we want to glorify God. Yet when we're choosing to glorify God, and that is our want throughout life, there's our desires to follow the Spirit and to glorify God, but there are also desires to follow the flesh and not glorify God. And as sinful humans, sometimes we follow the flesh. We always want to be following the Spirit, but we're not perfect. I wish we were, and I wish I could get up here and give a much different message of saying, hey, we're perfect, we never follow the flesh, and there's no fruit of the flesh, but that's just not the case. And that's what Paul's talking about today. And to get back to what I was saying a little bit earlier is that the fruits of the flesh are evident. And since the beginning of time, we've always wanted to hide these fruits. You see in Adam and Eve, the second they ate the apple, they realized they were naked. And the first thing they did was try to hide themselves. They sowed fig leaves. And then once they saw that God was coming, they heard him. We read about this more in Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We look at their fruit, and we may be able to see it, because again, as Paul says, it is evident. You can see it. It is observable, but we want to hide it. We want to be like Adam and Eve and say, no, I'll just cover up, or no, I'll just move away. And honestly, you can. To your wife, to your husband, to your work, you can hide these things from them. There's two people you can't hide them from. Yourself and God. And we read this in Hebrews 4.13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, we want to hide these things, but this is reminding us that even if we were to hide our sins, even if we were to hide our works of the flesh, God still knows what they are. And that's truly the only person that matters when it comes to our works of flesh. Because when God knows he's the ultimate judge, and if he knows everything, it doesn't matter that we hid it from our spouse. It doesn't matter that we hid it from our friends. It doesn't matter that we hid it at all, because God knows it anyway. But there is a desire to hide all of these sins. So then the next section jumps into a list of works of flesh. And it reads, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, bits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. It's a long list, and if you're just to read that and just kind of look at the overview, you said, ah, I probably don't struggle with many of those. Eh, yeah, maybe one or two of those I may put myself in the category in, but really, I'm, I'm not really any issues with that. But well, we're going to take a look at not each and every word, but there's four categories here. So we're going to take a look at the four categories that are talked about and kind of take an overview of each one of those and dig a little bit deeper. So the first works of flesh are sexual. And that's where it says sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. In the word immorality is the word for porneia, which is also the root word of pornography. But it's a general term used back then to describe A whole bunch of different works of flesh and a whole bunch of different sexual desires that were met outside of marriage. So the definition of that is to satisfy sexual desires outside of your marriage. So this could be adultery, it could be sleeping with someone else's wife or husband, it could be sleeping with someone other than your wife or husband, it could be fornication, it could be pornography, it could be a lot of different things. It's a broad term that was used to satisfying your sexual desires in anything other than your marriage. And you could probably create a list of 10, 15, 20 other things that would fit in there, but it's important to note that that's broad, but the next one is even broader than that. And that's when he says impurity, which quite frankly, the word impurity is just defined as the opposite of pure. It's the opposite of clean. In this sense, it's the opposite of what God's will and plan is for marriage and our intimacy with others. So saying that the sexual immorality is this general term that kind of fits everything that is fitting sexual sins outside of your marriage, yet this next one's even broader and just saying, hey, anything that goes against what God tells us about one man and one woman being together in a covenant in front of him is now considered the sexual works of flesh. And then the last one broadens it even more. It's sensuality. And quite frankly, it's just lustful actions or lustful thoughts. That could be from someone walking into a coffee shop and you're going, wow, she's really looking beautiful right now. Meanwhile, you're dating or married to someone. This could be lust over a computer screen each and every night. This can be lust in many different sections, but it's much broader. And we see that this isn't just an action. This is a thought and an attitude. And we see this thought even can, er, brought over more in Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his head. It's a whole different standard that that was on the Sermon of the Mount, that it was just adultery, you just had to avoid that. And now it's this more general idea of, you need to avoid lust as well, because that is just as much adultery than actual adultery is. And you may be saying, why was Paul putting this first? And I did some research about the Galatian church and I'm not gonna read any quotes because honestly, it was disgusting what they were doing. It was beyond anything that I've seen in this culture even now. There was multiple wives, there is concubines, there was different people for, and I'm just going to stop there before I give any more details. It was disgusting. But there's also a reason he put it first, is because the works of flesh, our sexual works of flesh, are our strongest physical desires of the flesh. And they often show themselves first. And I'm going to say that one more time. Our sexual desires are the strongest physical desires of our flesh. And they often show themselves first. You see this in every single culture you go to. You see this in most people. Most people can stop fighting between each other. Most people can stop these other things. But the physical sexual desire is perverted first in almost every culture, in every way, throughout the Bible, throughout history. And that's why Paul puts it first. It's because it's important and it is often the first thing to fall and be changed from what God's plan was. And we read some rather strong words about this in 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The first thing that starts off with is flee, which is the better one, is just run. If you feel like you're gonna be sexual anymore, if you feel like you're gonna be an adulterer, if you feel like you're gonna fornicate, if you feel like you're gonna watch pornography, run. Don't sit there, don't tempt yourself, flee from it. Don't just walk away looking back. Run, never looking back at it. It's a strong term, decided to run away from it because it is such a strong desire And then it also says this is the only sin that isn't just against another person. It's against yourself and God, because your body is a dwelling place of God. And that's why the sin is such a strong one, and this is why Paul puts it first in his list to talk about, is because it is a sin that is a strong desire, and it is a graver sin, because it's against yourself and God. And the next section, in the next category, I guess, is religious works of flesh. This is idolatry and sorcery. And this is all about either replacing God or becoming God. And we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But idolatry, which you guys all know, if you have idols in your life, that's obviously not a good thing. If there's a golden cow on your mantle, you should probably get rid of that. But idols today are really looking differently. And it is all about replacing God. It's saying, well, eh, this God, he kind of says some things that I don't really agree with. And I'd rather, I'd rather follow this but it doesn't happen in such a way that it's this thought. It happens as something that is good in your life. It could be a sport. It could be work. It could be a relationship. It could be money. It could be a place. It's when that good thing becomes the ultimate thing. Having an idol of your life is when something good in your life becomes the ultimate thing, when it's the only thing you think about, the only thing you talk about, the only thing you make decisions based off of instead of God. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about replacing God on that stage. It's when God is at center stage, that's what you're focused on, that's what you're following, but then these other things kind of get in the way and you get a little bit off target. You say, man, I really wish I had a job that paid a little bit more. And instead of going to God and saying, hey, will you help me with this? Will you either help me be a better worker at my job? Will you give me favor in my boss's eye? you say, no, I'm leaving right now and I'm going somewhere else. Idolatry is about putting something above God. Again, it is when a good thing, because a lot of these things are good, money is relatively a good thing, you need it to live, your job obviously is a good thing, your spouse is a good thing. There's a lot of things that are good, but when that becomes the ultimate thing, the only thing you think about, the only thing you talk about, the only thing you base decisions off of, it has become an idol. And the next one is sorcery. And this is probably the one a lot of you guys are hearing and you're saying, eh, yeah, I don't really deal with that, I'm not a witch. Um, I don't do Ouija boards. I don't do stuff like that. And yes, that is a large port of sorcery, but that's not the entirety of it. There is witchcraft. There is all these things that is all about becoming God. Sorcery, in the term I like, or the definition I like for this, is the practice of trying to manipulate your circumstances or dark powers to bring your desired goals rather than submitting and trusting in God. I'll read that one more time. The practice of trying to manipulate circumstances or dark powers to bring your desired goal rather than submitting and trusting in God. And yes, this is done through witchcraft. Yes, this is done through spells. Yes, this is done through Ouija boards. Yes, this is done through all these things that are pretty obviously bad. No one looks at that and says, well, maybe I'll try this spell if I'm a Christian. No one really says that. You say, no, I need to stay away from that. But at the core of sorcery, it is about becoming God. And if we're to take that a little bit further, I think there's a much more common version of this that we all struggle with. And that is forcing circumstances to bring your desired outcome. Forcing circumstances to bring your desired outcome. An example I have here is that, we're going back to desires, wants, and works. Your desire is to get married. Your desire is to find a spouse, a Christian loving spouse. Yet, or sorry, your want is that, your desire is to find a spouse and get married quickly. And instead, your work that goes out of that, instead of your work being that you're going to trust God, you're going to pray, you're going to wait, you're going to rely on him and commit to him and say, hey God, whatever your timing is, you go out to the local bar or Tinder, Tinder, you find the first guy you meet and you marry him within three months. This is forcing a circumstance to meet your desired outcome. And honestly, we all have goals in life. We all have what we want at the end of our lives. We all have what we want to be finished, but we need to submit to God with that. And sorcery at its core is forcing things to go your way, is making circumstances to give you a different job, to give you a better paying job, forcing circumstances to get married, to do this, to do X, Y, and Z. And that's a much more common version of this. So again, this religious sins, are all about when we replace or become God, instead of trusting in Him. We learn about trusting in God in Proverbs 3, 5-6. through Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Instead of you trying to make your path straight, by praying and relying on God, He will make your path straight, and you will follow that. And the third category is relational sins. In a relational works of the flesh. These are enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, and envy. It's a long list, but it's of works of flesh that are between me and you. It's between two or more people. It could be a larger group of people. And for the most part, I don't like to talk in absolutes, but a lot of these relational works of flesh come back to pride. There's always an exception of it, but for the most part, these come back to pride. And even in this list, we can narrow it down to anger, strife, rivalries, dissension, and division. This is from a pride that says, I'm right, you're wrong, period. I'm not talking to you anymore. There's no room for conversation. I don't care if God convicts my heart or changes your opinion. I am right, you are wrong, period. No other parts. It leaves no room for trusting in God and leaves no room for God's grace to enter the situation. There's a lot of reasons for these issues, but a lot of it does come back to that. I have a true belief that I am right, you are wrong, and there's no room for discussion. I may not even tell you you're wrong, but I know you're wrong, and I'm gonna hold something against you. I'm gonna be angry with you. I'm gonna create division against you, but I'm not even gonna tell you why I'm mad at you. This comes from this pride that says, I am right and you are wrong. And then there's jealousy and envy, which is a little bit different source of pride. It's a pride that says, I deserve what you have. You have a nice car, you have a family, you have a house. I want that, and I deserve that, and I don't know why I'm not getting it right now. I don't understand why I don't get it, but we don't realize by saying that, and having goals is a good thing. But when you're looking at someone and you're being envious or you're being jealous of what they have, that underlying statement is that God made a mistake. Because I don't have what you have, and I'm jealous for it, that means God made a mistake when it came to me. Means I don't have the house and the job that you have, that means God made a mistake when it came to me. Means I should totally have that. I deserve it. I'm a great person. I deserve everything. Yet, we are saying that God made the mistake. And that's just not true. We see a little bit more about these points of relational works of flesh in James 4, 1 through 3. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It is not this, that your passions, if it is not this, your passions are at war among you. Your desires and do not have, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And that last part's really important. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. A lot of these things are just about a lack of faith, a lack of trusting in God. When we have this relational strife between me and you, a relational anger, relational jealousy, anything like that, it's because I'm not trusting that God has it. I'm not trusting that even though I may think you're right and you're wrong, that, hey, God's still gonna work this out for the best, unless it's obviously heresy, and they're saying Jesus Christ never died on the cross, that needs to be talked about in a lot more depth than whether the Detroit Lions are the best football team. Um, those things don't need to be debated among in such a degree that it's going to cause division or dissension between others. These are selfish desires of the flesh, and when they win, we're at war with each other. In the last one, the last category is drunkenness. Drunkenness and orgies, and we're going to throw that word out because it really doesn't mean what you guys may think it means, it just means wild parties. It's someone who seeks the next party and the next party and the next party. You go bar hopping on Thursday, you go to work on Friday, next thing you know, you're back at the bar in Manhattan on Friday night. Saturday morning, you're over your friend's health already drinking, and then that night again, you're out at a bar in Hoboken. You're just going to the next party, to the next party, to the next party, to the next party without ever thinking about it. And these both are alcohol-based works of flesh. Drunkenness, obviously, is a very easy one to do in the wild parties. And I want to be clear that the Bible does not forbid drinking alcohol in any sense of the term. You are allowed to drink alcohol, yet it is when you are drunk. And we read this in Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. So this isn't saying don't have a glass of wine, don't drink a craft beer at dinner, don't do this. It's saying don't do it to the point where you can no longer be filled with the Spirit because you're filled with wine you're filled with alcohol, because you're filled with this. And quite simply, when you are drunk, when you're drinking, all of your good decision goes out the window. Your ability to follow the fruits of the Spirit is completely gone because now you're just following whatever your flesh wants. It knocks down that wall that you say, well, this is what it says in the Bible and I should really be loving on my brother, but instead he spilled a beer on me on accident, and I'm gonna throw him to the ground. I've never heard anyone once say, Man, last night after that crazy party when I drank 12 White Claws, I went home and apologized to my wife. No one says that. They don't go, Oh, and I finished all of my work assignments as well, and I got a raise the next day because of it. No one says, Man, I got really drunk and I did something good. It's only regretful things. And that's because when we are drunk, we are not aligned with the Spirit. We are aligned with our flesh. It removes all of the barricades that say, Hey, maybe you should make this decision instead of this. And says, man, just follow your flesh and do whatever you want. And that's why it's a warning against drinking too much, because it brings you to the flesh. And then this section ends by saying, and things like this. So you guys might have listed all those things. You might have been like, wow, I really don't struggle with any of those. I have good and bad news. This is not a complete list. This is just the list that the Church of Galatians was struggling with. It's a pretty large list once you really dig into it and what it really means, but it is not a complete list. There are always ways there's gonna be more works of the flesh showing. There's always gonna be ways that it keeps showing in different ways that are not listed here. And that's why we need to be aware, because our heart is deceitful, and sometimes those works of flesh show up without us ever thinking about it. And then we get the true last sentence here, the last two sentences. I warn you as I've warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When you read that, you kind of get kind of struck in back. You're like, wait, if I did any of those things, Eric, you just told me I probably did one of those things, and now you're telling me I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God? That's not what this truly means. The word do here makes it seem like if you just do one thing or one of these things ever in your life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. What that word means is to practice. It means when your life is defined by these things and these things alone, the reality is that you're not following the Spirit at all. And the reality of that is you've probably never accepted Christ as your Savior. It's not saying that if you struggle with the flesh, because we all struggle with this, but it is saying that if these are your only fruits on your tree, if you look at your tree and it is saying, wow, that is only rotten fruits and I couldn't touch any of that, then there's a good chance that you're only following the flesh. And the reason is because you don't have the spirit yet. And we read a little bit more about this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor idolteros. Oh my goodness. Nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivals, nor swindlers, nor will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed and were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. We were these things. We were defined by these works of flesh until God said, I'm sending my son to die on the cross for you, to forgive you of each and every work of flesh and each and every sin you have ever done. I will wash you clean. You will be justified and you will be sanctified. Not to say you will never struggle with that again, but to say that you are now made right, and you are made in right standing with God, where you will inherit the kingdom of God. So it's not saying you will not fall. It's not saying you will not have any works of the flesh, but it is saying despite all of those, God still forgives us. God still loves us, and wants us to grow towards being more like him. And just to summarize, I realize this is really, it's not a fun message. I might have choked off in the beginning and saying, hey, everyone likes to talk about sin, it's not a fun message to listen to these sins that you struggle with, that other people struggle with, but I do want to make one thing clear. In the way I presented this message, I purposely withheld any of my kind of condemningness. I didn't want to make it seem like I was yelling at you guys or anything like that. I just taught what the scripture said, and I did that purposely, so it wasn't me convicting you, it was God convicting you. So I want you guys to know that if you listen to one of those things, you're like, wow, I really do deal deal with jealousy. Man, maybe I do drink a little bit too much. That wasn't me making you feel that way. That was the Spirit convicting you of one of these works of the flesh. With that in mind, I just want to summarize everything again real quickly, and then we're going to move to our four points of application. So in the beginning, we learned that the desires we have once, and our wants should be to glorify God. Then we have desires where the flesh and spirit are at odds, and then our works equal what that outcome is, whether the flesh wins in that moment or the Spirit wins in that moment. And our goal is always to follow the Spirit. And ultimately what we follow with our desires is the fruit that we produce. And that is also the fruit that we will be recognized by. So it's important to know that, yes we are sanctified by God, yes we are forgiven by God, and unless all of our fruits are fruit of the flesh, it's a pretty good chance that we are at least striving to become more like Christ. But There are still people around us who can see these fruits because they're evident. And if we just continue to live with these works of flesh, with these sinful acts, these sinful things, we're not being the best ministers of Christ that we can be. We're not being the best representatives of Christ that we can be in our work, in our home, in our friend groups, in our lives. Because if we just let these run rampant, we're the same as anyone else. We're the same as anyone who's not saved. We're the same as anyone in your work environment. What sets us apart is that we have the spirit and that that changes our fruits. And that should be our goal from this, not to look at the fruits of the flesh and say, man, I'm just a horrible person and I'll probably never change. To say, through God, we can change these fruits. And with that, we can be great evangelists through God, just through our actions. So with that in mind, we're going to move to four points of application. They're going to be real quick so we should be done in about three minutes. Um, but the first one is to accept God's grace. A lot of you guys may be sitting there and thinking, wow, man, I struggle with like eight of those things Eric just listed, and then some more God even convicted me of. Accept God's grace. Or there may be someone sitting here today who said, I've never really thought about sin, and honestly, I thought I was a pretty good person. I only came to church because someone invited me here. And if you're feeling like, hey, I I got some serious things wrong with me, I want to invite you to have a conversation with any of our pastors, with any of our elders, because that's a conversation where God's starting a transforming work in you. He's saying, hey, there is something wrong with you. It's called sin. We all struggled with it, yet I have an answer to that. And that answer is Jesus Christ, who has already died on the cross, who has already forgiven our sins of yesterday, of today, and tomorrow, and loves us beyond anything. So there's already an answer to that. So the first one is to accept God's grace. And the next one is to ask that God reveals the fruit to you. So as I've said before, our hearts are deceitful. And just like Adam and Eve, we want to hide when we sin. We don't want anyone to see it. We don't even want ourselves to really recognize it. And honestly, we're really good at hiding that. We could hide it from ourselves. So ask that God will reveal to you what fruit you are producing, whether it's the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh. And the next one is kind of hand in hand, the last two. But the next one is to remove the fruit. And I don't wanna give you the idea that you can just grab that fruit and throw it out and stop sinning immediately. This is a work through God. Yes, we have something to do with it, but ultimately, if we're gonna remove those fruits and we're gonna transform them to fruits of the Spirit, it is God doing that through us. Because out of man, nothing good can come. But out of God, everything good and everything gloryful can come. So we have to ask that God will start transforming these fruits. And our job in that is to align ourselves with the Spirit, to align ourselves with God, to pray with God that we will be aligned to read the Bible, to look at our lives and ask that we can see those fruits of what is Spirit-led and what is flesh-led and say, God, I want to move more towards being like you. I want to honor you. I want to be more Christ-like. I want to glorify you. Help me do that. And he will help you do that. And the last one, very simply, is just to replace the fruit. And again, this goes back to that other one of removing the fruit, because when you remove the fruit, something new is going to grow there. It could be another fleshly desire, or it could be another spiritual desire. And that's where we need God to come in and help us develop those spiritual fruits instead of the fleshly fruits. fruits. To say, God, I'm seeking you, I'm serving you, and I want to glorify you. Help the fruit of my tree be that that does that that seeks you, that glorifies you, and serves you, Lord, so that I can be a good witness to everyone else. And with that in mind, the message is done, so let's pray. God, thank you so much for the God you are, a God who is not this harsh judge sitting up there and yelling at us for everything we've done wrong in life, Lord, who is a God who sees that and does not ignore it, yet says, I don't want you to suffer the punishment of sin." I don't want you not to inherit the kingdom of God because I love you and I care for you. But He sent His Son to die on the cross for us, Lord. And that's why we say each and every week, you are a good God, and you're good all the time, Lord. You never stop being good, and we thank you for that. Lord, today I ask that if you convicted any of us, including myself, Lord, of these works of flesh, that you help us to realize it is through you that we change that, that we can submit to you, that we can connect with you, that we can align with you, Lord and that we can move in a way that we are more filled with fruits of the Spirit than fruits of the flesh. And Lord, I ask that for those of us who are sitting there kind of beating up on yourselves and saying, wow, I'm really just this horrible person, and how could anyone love me? I ask that you give them an extra pouring of your grace, Lord, because that's not the purpose of this message. The purpose of the message is to help us change the fruits, Lord, not to focus on how we'll help what we have done wrong, because that doesn't matter. You have forgiven us for all of that, Lord. I ask that you give us an extra pouring of grace for that. And Lord, I ask as we go out, through, out this week that you help us to reveal these fruits in us, that you help us to be able to remove them and replace them through you, Lord, and that we will ultimately be filled with fruits of the Spirit instead of fruits of the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.